This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Dagan the Woodsman Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I don't know why it just popped in my head, but I was thinking of that old ad with the crying Indian when he observes all the Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's like zooms in really slowly on him. <laughs> Which yeah. is part of the Sopranos season. I don't know what season that is, but remember where the whole thing with the Italians versus the Native Americans? Yeah, yeah. And the he, over Columbus they, Day, right? Right. Wasn't That's it? right. Yeah. That's the whole thing, the whole issue over Columbus Day and... But it, it, it's it's spawned by that commercial. There's something about that commercial, right? Like yeah, Ralphie Tony's has watching, the poster oh, when he oh, right. when he meets with them, and he's like, "This is your poster child." He wasn't really a Native American. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ralphie is awesome. Oh, I love the Sopranos. Oh, it's that's so a good. good. That's a good uh, good mention. Well, how how's your life? How's everything going in your world? Everything's good. I wanted to get your advice on something. Oh, please. As a new homeowner, mm. you may be able to speak to this. Now, well, to go back, as you know, historically our dad would always sort of grease the palms of the garbage men, of the sanitation guys, to basically saying, like, especially around Christmas time, like, drop an envelope and say, look, maybe $100 a piece or something. Basically saying that there was an understanding, like, I give you this, this money changes hands and you take whatever I put out here. Right. Right? <laughs> this whole thing. Right? Yeah. And I was always fascinated by it because there was never a discussion. There was never any kind of dialogue. It was just some kind of under, it's just some kind of ancient suburban understanding. Right? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's great. So a compact. <laughs> I've never done that. I've never done yeah. it with the with the sanitation guys. But I always think about it around the holidays, thinking it's a good opportunity. Start afresh in the next new year and like just sure. be able to put what you want on the curb. And now with COVID, I don't know how it is down there in VA, but in Pennsylvania... There's restrictions like you can't put out. They'll let you put out your bins and then like an extra can or two. And that's it. They won't take anything else right now. And they cite COVID as being the as the factor. So I'm thinking now, you know, Helene and I are slowly renovating the house. We just got really nice floors put downstairs. It's been beautiful, right? But we have to purge. We have the gar- two garages full of stuff. We have the basement. Kids are getting older. They don't need all their childhood stuff you know high chairs and toys certain toys and all that kind of stuff so we really have to get rid of stuff and i'm thinking how do i do that now in the spring not during the holidays now if i put an envelope out there's no guarantee there's a guarantee they're going to take the money oh yeah that's a yeah they're going to take the yeah. money no oh, but there's course, no guarantee good. i'm going to get anything in return i feel like i don't know i feel a little silly 
maybe that understanding isn't universal. Maybe it's not a Pennsylvania thing. I think it maybe is. they think that you're just being yeah, like you're just being friendly. Or I think just, it is, but is yeah. it going to be strange? And the, the other thing is too, as mm. you know, and as a lot of people know, especially here in the U.S., it's not like the old days with the garbage men. They're not hanging off the tail, going slow in the neighborhood, jumping down and emptying the cans. These trucks are all automated. The guy stays in the cab. He goes through the neighborhood with his giant robot arm and mm. dumps the things in. So there's no association with the guy. You can wave to him if you want to be friendly, but that's about it. That's a that's a pretty much the extent of the, uh, you know, the interpersonal relationships with the sanitation guys now. So I don't know what to do because I really do need to get rid of stuff. And the other thing is, here's the other thing that you may not realize. They do a special collections thing. So let's say you have a mattress. They won't take that during regular collection. You could pay 20 bucks though, and they'll come get it. And it's 20 bucks per item, right? Boop, bitty, beep, bada, boop, bada, boop. You want right. everything, you got to go, you got to pay each time. You so you got to shove things like into the mattress. You got to put oh, like... Oh, now that's You got to good... like cut up a dresser with a chainsaw and put it in the mattress, you know, <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then reseal it with like a tarp. That's a really that's a really smart idea. I never realized how valuable it is to get rid of stuff until we had yes. a dumpster in the driveway a couple of weeks ago because we got the old floors ripped out and the new ones put in. And my hardwood floor guy came and purged his house. I had his old microwave in there. He had half his deck in it. You know, <laughs> it was like people and my neighbors were like, can I get some shit in there? Like people really no, definitely want to get rid of stuff. Definitely. That, that I've noticed. In my own neighborhood, because it was, I would, my house was maybe in halfway um, amongst the, the all everything being built around us. So they're just yeah. dumpsters everywhere, right? And people are just, you just walk by, it's hysterical. Like there's just people all sorts of shit in these dumpsters <laughs> because they're obviously like building the houses and they don't. People building houses don't care. So every, it's kind of like a wink and a nod thing. You see like a bike in there, you know, or like boxes from clearly like you know like a TV or so, you know like things that like would not be of course in this in these building materials but and i i partook once i got rid of some things that were kind of big only did it once though because okay. i kind of i kind of felt bad it's funny you bring this up because i am obsessed with garbage like getting rid of garbage and like getting rid of things and you, trying you to so i knew when i was when i moved here and i had a bunch of boxes i knew that i could just go throw the shit in the dumpsters but instead what i did was i just was like i'm gonna patiently whittle this box thing of boxes down week by week fit in what i can right like a puzzle and then slowly have the satisfaction of having gotten rid of yeah. it it's very similar to when i made the, the snow pile for no reason to see how long it will last <laughs> and so that's that's kind of how Did i you play do it. but it? i will say this we have the garbage thing you know the guy comes in and grabs it like you said sure but i have what i would say is an inter intermediate relationship with this man and i'm going to tell you why because i'm out there often walking rush so i see him okay sometimes so he okay. knows who i am and i know and i kind of know who he is and i had a few weeks ago not just a few weeks ago i was walking and i had a poop bag in my hand like a full poop bag and he stops next to me and there's no houses where i am sure and he just points backwards no like up and back oh this guy likes as in, you as in to throw the bag in and Come so i did on. i did that yeah yeah oh you got a good garbage guy and so i just threw it in and i waved and he waved and then i kept, I kept he kept going oh this guy that happened that really did happen that's yeah. unbelievable not, not three weeks ago perhaps that is yeah. unbelievable the only other thing i've seen like that ever is i saw a guy this was about a year ago probably i saw a guy get out of the truck he, he, he was done with the block, the, the cul-de-sac, and he was getting ready to turn onto the major throughway through the neighborhood, and something fell out of the back of the truck. It was like a rolled-up paper towel. He got out, put his hazards on, got out, picked it up, put it in the truck, and got back in. Now, it might have been because everybody was at the bus stop watching. Right, right, right. So you got to... You know, so he has to put on a good... He has to put on a show. Like, he has to right. make it look like he's, you know, he's doing his due diligence. 
But man, man I'm I'm envious of that of that guy, you know, because my garbage yeah. men aren't that friendly. They yeah, also no, break I, down every other week on the cul-de-sac. They wait, spilled what? transmission fluid oh, oh, in front of my uh, friend's house uh, two weeks ago because that giant thing that dumps the thing, you know, they load it up and then it dumps back. Right, right. For some reason, the hydraulics always break on them. I mean, really, this happens every two or three weeks in front of somebody's house where the guy's sitting there for hours because he has to wait for his rescue. He has to wait for the tow truck to come. And uh, yeah, he spilled transmission fluid all over my friends, like in front of his house, it, like and dragged it. And then they came with like sawdust and tried to clean it up with a power washer and stuff. It's it's stained for forever. forever. Yeah, it's never going to. That's never no, that's never out. going anywhere. No. So, yeah, I have to figure it out. I You'll have to figure, figure it out. out. Talk to, you, you know, know, talk to dad and get advice. And uh, yeah, is the mid year is the mid year sort of payout acceptable? I don't. Yeah. Can I'm you sure jump in mid cycle? You know, like, <laughs> that's the question. Oh, they can say our hands are tied because it's covid. Can't do it. Right. I don't we'll know. Say, I'll if keep I you guys that, posted. You also have to deal with like, I'm sure they're told not to take tips. I'm sure they've been told that for many decades. I don't know. So then you have to do well, you have to understand like, well, I guess you have to also know, like, are you dealing with a conservative sort of person or a more liberal sort of person? Not politically. I mean, in terms of their job, like there are some people that were like, they're like, no, I, I'll do everything by the book. No, no. And there's some people that'd be like, I don't give a fuck. Like, do whatever right. you want. I'm going to take know, whatever you stuff. give me. So you don't, you also have to kind of put that in there. You don't know who you're dealing with here. Absolutely. Yeah, now that I have the personal. intermediate relationship with my guy, I feel like I don't really need anything from him right now, but I feel like I could start to broach that subject with him. Now. I think it would go well for you, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Listen, I might just take some garbage down there. You're more than welcome. <laughs> Please, I, my, my, uh, my bin is rarely totally full. I like ha I have the big recycling thing too, and I yeah. love not breaking boxes down, like just being like, hey, <laughs> throw them in a hole. Yeah, it's like, because I like, unless you need the space. Because I'm so used to like living in apartments where it's like you have to sh sh send things down the tube mm. or like if you live in really crazy places where if you don't rip your like I used to rip my address things off of everything. So no one would know which boxes were mine because people would be like, this box wasn't ripped. You know, Who did break this box? down? <laughs> Dude, you, you have no. Oh, you probably do. But people are crazy. I forgot um, about that. Yeah, this is a brave new world for you. So, yeah. Well, OK. How Good are you enough. doing? This has been a crazy week for you. Yeah, it's in a good way. Week. Yeah, I put up as of we're recording this, I put up an interview with David Jaffe that's doing really well. It's coincidence because we just did God of War, which was uh, he um, directed that game and designed it. So but but it was about it was about a lot of different issues. And it, he kind of took over the interview as he does uh, and started interviewing me. Did he really? <laughs> about halfway through. Yeah, about halfway through. That's when everyone really started to love it. I think it was when uh, I can't wait to listen. He to kind that. of took control of the interview and and started asking me questions. But I'm going to do a show soon. And um, yeah, so it's been a big week. Like the, the Patreon is huge. It's blowing up. It is the biggest nerd culture, like podcast network type Patreon ever. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, it is. that's just take a minute to think about that. Yeah, I, I just I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, we have to figure things out because we had these stretch goals. You know, you put stretch goals. So you slowly reach them. You hope sure. to tantalize a person here and there as you grow. So at 10,500 patrons, we had Let's Plays. And then at 11,000, we had Sacred Symbols plus like a second episode of that. And we assumed we would reach 10,500 and then figure out, all right, like, let's figure out how we're going to produce these Let's Plays and we'll grow yeah. incrementally towards this next goal. But we've reached both goals essentially in like two days. So we so no more stretch goals for the rest of the year. And now we have to figure out how we're going to roll these out. I assume it'll be done in the opposite direction where we'll put a second episode of Sacred Symbols Plus out first and then figure out the Let's Plays this summer. Yeah. But I, I'm not too worried about it because, first of all, it's not going to be much more, 
no offense, but it's not gonna be much more work for me. <laughs> so we'll <laughs> we'll increase everyone's wages and stuff that work for us, you know that work for us and produce and and all that kind of stuff. So everything will be commensurate um, as we move forward. For instance, like Dustin and I have our re up. Like our he signed he does like a one year contract with me every year so okay. so he has a lot of I, and I tweeted I think I said it or maybe I said it on Discord I'm like does anyone think Dustin realizes how much leverage he has over this company yet uh, <laughs> I don't know if he noticed I think he knows I think he's a smart kid I think he's smarter than you give him credit for so I'm like he's like in you know Kevin Coelho our, our guy at, at kind of funny he's very similar to that like Kevin had extreme leverage over this over our company we all knew it yeah so it's pretty fun so that's so that's cool so we have to figure out like the new production cycle and making sure it's really important to me that no one is overworked. It's my ideal that people that work for me full-time work less than 40 hours a week, if possible. So, and getting that as low as possible without with paying them more essentially over time, I want everyone to like work for me to like work as little as possible. Quality you know? of life, my friend. Right. Yeah. Cause I think the shows are better when we want to do them when people are, it's exciting to do knockback, right? But it's probably exciting too to get a paycheck for it as opposed sure. to sitting, you know, and like oh, it's I the love, same thing I for everybody. It. Everyone feels that way. So it's like you got to. So I, I told you on over text, like this week has been strange for me because I am very much in CEO mode, which I'm usually not in CEO mode. I don't run a very tight ship. Uh, so we're well, we're, we're well, we're well oiled, but I'm yeah. not like in people's business. I don't talk to Ben at all, basically, unless something's wrong and he just does what he does, doesn't does what he does so it's interesting to jump back in every once in a while and be like well all right now we need to yeah and and as i said to you i don't have like a board or anything so like i have of course so like and maybe we would do that soon uh start to like bring people in as some sort of like advisory board when we get a little bigger but in the meantime like i have to make all the decisions by myself just based on like my gut so yeah it's it's a lot that is a lot you're wearing that ceo hat right now temporarily at least until you figure it out because you got stratospheric real quick. I mean, not that you haven't been already, but like, you know, shot right up. And we'll uh, see. yeah, congratulations, dude. Enjoy it. Like I was telling you the other day, take time to enjoy it. Savor it. You got a lot of love out there. All you guys. I'm looking at all you guys and girls out there. And all the other guys and girls that watch Sacred Symbols, which is 90% of the people that aren't here. Which <laughs> I have a big problem with. <laughs> We're slowly getting them. I told you like our audio podcast remains steady and goes up a little bit every month right yeah which but is nice everything on youtube is just additive these are just new people so the show yeah, which bigger is so than ever. cool it's so cool well yeah so it's ex- it's exciting and i think it's it's totally well first of all if you say all that and i appreciate it you're, you're really gonna like the jaffe interview you should go listen to that oh i can't a lot of it is about that. that and especially the second half when he just kind of asks me about my past and the, and the company and where everything is and stuff like that it's it's, it's I, people found it quite interesting but yeah we, who knows if we'll stay this big i try i always try to compare myself to a um I mean, I don't mean it in a braggadocious way, but like as a pro athlete, right? Yeah. You have your moment, you have your prime, you have your championship years, but even the Tom Brady's who are immune to time, seemingly they will <laughs> succumb at some point time, as is always said, is undefeated. Yeah. So to me, I, I, I'm like, I want to make the most of it. I want to make the smartest decisions. I want to treat people the best I can now. Because who knows? I mean, it would be surprising if we were always this big, right? Like maybe we'll get bigger at some point. Maybe we'll sure. grow. But at some point, every sitcom goes away. Every, t- you know, everything goes. Everything's everything's sundown. Sure. You know? so, sure. There's wisdom in that thinking like that. For yeah. sure. But I think so I going. want to enjoy it and I'm trying to enjoy it. Yeah. I don't enjoy, enjoy the hell out of it. I don't enjoy, enjoy the hell out of it, my friend. You deserve yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah, you really do. All right, Dick. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. 
That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Let's talk about the topic at hand today. We came up with this one, actually. We threw this one in the middle of our cycle here, and we're recording in the mi- middle of the week because Dagan has important family plans when we would usually record this week. And this was one I've been kind of holding for a while. It's one of the many, actually, of these random, ethereal conversations that we do. I wanted to talk about the woods and our experiences in the woods. They're so. Now, for us, they were very important. I imagine that for rural folk, they might not be as important if you grew up in, say, Nebraska or Oklahoma, where it's a little more flat, a little more barren. There's a lot of farmland, all of that. And if you grew up in a an urban area, then I assume that they probably weren't very important for you. But for those of us in the suburbs, which are many, the woods play where, where nature meets civilization. Uh, the woods play an important role for us growing up. I hope they still do. I'm, I'm, I live in a pretty wooded area here, and it seems that that is the case, which is nice. Kids are still playing outside, although it's the South. So come June, no one's going to be outside. Anymore. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Dave, what do you think of this topic? I mean, what, what does this bring to mind for you? I, I wrote down so many notes because there's so many things to talk about. And and what's fun about this for us is that many or maybe some of these locations can be shared. Like we both had experiences maybe in some of these places. Definitely. Which is cool. So talk to me a little bit about what this kind of brings up in your mind when we talk about the yeah, woods. Yeah, my curiosity is peaked. I really love this topic. This is one that you were bandying about a little bit just off to the side, you know, when we had to come up with our personal sort of retro nostalgic memory-esque topics. And I was, you know, I would think about it like, oh, that's going to be an interesting one. And... um yeah, I love what you said about, well, first of all, it's a good thing I didn't go into this thinking that we were talking about wood. Oh, you like your your favorite, you know, pine. You know, pine, pine and, your favorite things made of wood, whatever. Right. I'm fa- I, I have to say, Bats. we talk about this. T- right, exactly. Yeah. Right, Louisville Sluggers. I'm fascinated yeah. by the potential of coming in to meet for a podcast, especially one like this, which we didn't talk about too much beforehand, and just being completely on different pages. Because how are we as professional podcasters going to retcon that? The one time we meet up and like, oh, we, I, we were doing God of War 3. I thought we were doing 2. Right. And then it's going to be really interesting to see how we maneuver out of that territory. There's some, there's a train wreck in that that I'm just fascinated with. I'd rather see it some, on somebody else's podcast, to be honest <laughs> with you. But I wonder how we would rise to that occasion. Right. I was, I was a little afraid of that happening. Yes. So it's yes, because it, it, yes. it could definitely potentially happen. And a bit, you, you have a busy week. You're busy with things. I'm busy with things. Who knows? Eventually, who knows? Maybe it will have it. But, uh, you know, I love this topic because it's one that I think, well, first of all, when you do a podcast like this for three or four years, like we have, and it's largely centered around our memories and our childhoods and our remembrances, 
I, I start to think like, Jesus, have I already told all my childhood stories that are worth telling that are entertaining? But it turns out that I have a couple of good ones that I don't think I've ever brought up. One Excellent. is particularly traumatic that took place in, in the woods, which I'll definitely be talking about. And the other thing is a lot of these things are stories that we may have never shared with each other. So I'll be privy to some, some new tales from you. I love hearing stories from people that in my family or close friends that I haven't heard before. I would, I used to beg dad to tell me stories about like the firehouse or growing up his childhood, especially because he was kind of, sh- he was kind of like, um, not the most privy to talking about those things. So I would always try to coax those things out of him. Like, tell me a story about being a kid. Tell me about your first crush. Tell me something. So I might hear some new things from Kyle that I haven't heard from, you know, before. And yeah, I mean, growing up in the Northeast, the woods were a big part of our surroundings. We grew up in the suburbs and yeah, it's going to, whether it's scouts or whether it's, you know, going at being with friends, being with family, different parts of the United, the Eastern United States, especially, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a good one. There's something about the woods that to me is very, well, it's, 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 I don't know, what would you call it? Like Neolithic or something. It's, it's old. It feels old. It feels like you're drawn to this, like this is where you where you're from in some way or you understand this space and i feel like a lot of people feel that i don't feel like it's an unusual thing people love being in the woods people people love hunting and hiking and just you know bird watching and doing whatever you do you know botany and whatever like there's there's so mushrooms and there's when you think about all the things i'm not talking about doing mushrooms but doing mushrooms in the woods is great (laughs) i'm talking about the mushrooms you find in the woods you can also do mushrooms in the woods, and that's a whole other Absolutely. topic. Completely acceptable. So it's funny, like you, you and you think about some of the great shows, like and we, we always talk about Game of Thrones, right? I talk about The Last Kingdom, and a lot of it takes place in the woods, a lot of action in The Lord of the Rings in the woods, or The Witcher, people love those games, and, you know, The Elder Scrolls. There's always, you know, castles, Castlevania. I mean, I, I just think about how prescient it still is in our in our urban and suburban lives to want to be drawn back to nature and how the woods represents it in such a distinct way and i always love talking it's so funny because the the black forest in germany famous ancient forest there are amazing pictures of it and obviously pictures of other forests but like when you're on the outside of it and there's like a there's like a a plane and then you take a picture of the wood line right and it's just dark and on the other side of the first layer of trees is something. I mean, right. it's more woods and more more to discover and more to immerse yourself in. It's it's mystery. It's mystery. It's beauty. It's color. So like I'm I'm really I've always been kind of drawn to it. And I mean, obviously, digging the first. The woods that I think about are woods that come into your life later, but it's the woods that just surrounded our house in Brookhaven um, on Marie Court. And we had a fenced in area around our house that was i think almost an acre something like that yeah and uh our house was like it's it's right on the near the water so it's very sandy and the house was just built there and we had a pool in the backyard and then we had just basically like an arc of woods around half of the house and the other half was like along like another like country road and um i spent a lot of time back there like a lot of time and it's funny like i almost think about i can almost see and feel and taste like every inch uh of what uh of of like what that of what what that terrain was like you know i remember 
dad used to have like a bunch of trailers in the back and near like some of the trailers and he had like stacked up old wood and stuff where like a bunch of thorns and it felt like very end stage nes game and then like on the other side it was like more open wood against like the fence and you'd walk there and you know we we would we would adventure and pretend and play and i loved that that area i mean do you have any remembrance of that or any because that's a little late for you I mean, later. Yeah, a little you later. Maybe so much in, in play mode at that time per se, but I have memories of even playing back there with you. And I, I just spent an, an enormous amount of time in, the, in those woods. So like, and just that, just feeling like what it was like to be in the pool and looking into the, into the, into the trees and, and the way the pool, uh, we had like a cool little deck that like wove around the house into like a more wooded area as it went to the side of the house and stuff. And a lot of nostalgia there for me. What what do you remember about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because talking about the house of Brookhaven, we moved there when I was thirteen, and where we lived previously, this really does play into my childhood with the with the woods and with forests in general a little bit. Because where you were born and spent the first three years of your life, and where I was located from nineteen seventy seven through nineteen eighty seven in Medford on Long Island was the suburbs, not too far away, only like five, six, seven miles away or whatever from where we ended up in Brookhaven. But it was very, it was more built up, particularly now it was still, it was still Eastern Long Island of that era, still largely undeveloped pine barrens and all that kind of stuff. But those neighborhoods, those developments in Medford were more congested. There were more houses. So the block we grew up on in Medford had 16 houses on it. And then if you think about the grid of that particular development, there were many blocks like that. And then a major thoroughfare sort of that ran through the neighborhood. And then on the other side of that, two or three more grids. So if you think of the sheer amount of house, and each house, picture each house on like a quarter of an acre or maybe a little less. So pretty, pretty nestled together, pretty close knit, a lot of families, a lot of people. Not too many woods proper, but certainly not in the neighborhood. I think every house had like one tree planted on the curb and then whatever landscaping you chose to do. So where we moved then in 87 to Brookhaven, much more rural. I mean, mm. it was really the woods on the bay. A lot, our development, our, our specific cul-de-sac was right across the street from a national wildlife preserve. And then on the other side of those woods was the marsh and then whatever straits led to the bay. So, and everything, most of the houses there at that time had been there for many, many years, many decades, old houses spread out different types, you know, whether it was an old Victorian house, a larger house or an old Cape, they were all, you know, World War II era, post-World War II era houses there. They weren't doing, now Brookhaven is much different now. They've done a lot of construction since, but where our specific cul-de-sac, which was what? One, two, three, four, five, six houses. Six. Six houses. That was new. That new construction in the late '80s was almost unheard of in that area at the time, and I think it was relatively controversial as well because people didn't really want to build there. You know, picture no sidewalks, no street lights. It was very, very rural. You know, you could only paint the houses certain colors. You could only have a certain look and aesthetic to your house. So now there's a lot more in Brookhaven Hamlet, but that was a very rural. It still is a very rural place, and it was an adjustment for us and i remember it being really creepy how quiet it was at night because you don't have those ambient noises of you know we used to live um outside of a major basically a major road that ran through medford and the various developments so you don't have all the ambient noises the traffic noises the families the houses around you know just a sheer amount of people so much less 
And it was a, it was a huge adjustment. And, and being in that neighborhood, especially the early years of the late 80s to early 90s, was new to us, even though we were from the suburbs. And again, we, we grew up just a, you know, just a stone, stone's throw away from Brookhaven. I remember it being a lot of fun in a lot of ways. And those specifically, there's two memories that I have. I remember playing in the backyard with you and it was kind of a nice formula the way mom and dad had it set up because we were on an acre, relatively large front yard that eventually, you know, grass would, they would, they planted grass and everything like that. And the backyard was the pool and the deck area. And then behind that, they left the woods alone, but the entire area, the entire acre was fenced in, as you say. And on the other side of that fence was a farm, our friend Kurt's farm. And so we had the woods already, you know, so there was actually play area beyond the pool. Just in the yard, there was probably a half an acre of woods alone to play in. But then on the opposite side of Old Stump Road, which was the road our cul-de-sac was built off of, was that National Wildlife Preserve and all those woods. And the woods started out relatively, you know, rel- you, you could walk, you could walk, and then it got more dense as you went back until it ended up like brambles and thicket. And then beyond that thicket, which was, you know, you couldn't traverse it after a certain point, just got too thick. I don't even, that's probably where the deer lived and stuff like that. Beyond that sort of untraversable space was the marsh and then the bay and then whatever straits were leading into the channel into the bay. And I used to go back there. I went through my sort of poetry, writing, Miss Parry, we talk about a lot, Walt Whitman-esque stage of like i would go back there after school i had my like army shoulder bag and my notebook and i would sit under the trees and write like poetries or short stories or whatever or stuff for ap english or creative writing class and that was a big that was a big routine of mine for a long time you know i would go and i would be in the woods and i would always try to go in deeper like i'm gonna try to get past there's got to be a way past this bramble and these thorns and everything this thicket and I never did. I never ended. I could only, it got so dense back there that you just couldn't, there was just no way a human being was going to get through without a machete type of thing. So I remember spending a lot of time back there. And then my other adventure was, and you might remember this, just up the road on that same side as the National Wildlife Preserve was the old chicken coops. Do you remember those? Um, I don't think so. Tell me more. So there was old so if you go, went up Old Stump Road, which is our road, where our, our, the side of our house kind of sided up to, probably about, what, an eighth of a mile or something around Chapel Avenue, or ch- whatever it was called there. Yeah, My Chapel, friend Danny yeah. lived down there. Yeah. And just beyond that, on the same side of the road, was these old chicken coop buildings. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, know exactly on the right side. Yeah, I know yeah, exactly on the right-hand side. Yeah, right. So on the and, same side as the, yeah. as the marsh. Sure. And... I was always fascinated with them. And in Brookhaven, you know, talk about a neighborhood, you know, Medford being built in the, in the mid to late seventies. It was, it was very, you know, uh, they were, I guess they were considered colonials, but they were very formulaic. Everything was kind of cookie cutter, very much the, the design and architecture and colors. They had the asbestos shingles, like very unto that era. Moving to a place like Brookhaven, which was actually historical. I mean, there were houses there hundreds of years old and you had abandoned, you know, we eventually ended up finding like an abandoned resort and there was old fountains in the woods across from our high school and stuff. But that was cool because it was like, wow, we get to play Indiana Jones a little bit. We get to explore. Mm. And those chicken coops are just like these long buildings, probably probably 100 years old. They were actually sinking into the earth. 
But there were these old abandoned buildings that seemingly didn't belong to anybody that just remained there. And I would go exploring with my friend Tommy, who I talk about a lot on the podcast, who was also from Medford. So this was a new thing for him too, like being rural, walking the railroad tracks, Mm. being in the woods. This was all new stuff. And those chicken coops were like, we're going to get, you know, when you're a kid, you know, we're that age, 13, 14 years old, like that's where the drug dealers hang out. You know, so we get that in our head and we have our slingshots and we go back there. And one time, you know, if you went in, there was no windows, there was openings where, you know, I guess chicken wire or maybe glass or plexiglass used to be, and then a door. And if you went in there, there wasn't really garbage in there, but like old oil drums and it was overgrown and it looked like people were throwing old fence sections in there and stuff like that. It was just cluttered with crap over the years. Not necessarily garbage, just, just crap. One day, you know, we got in our heads that there was like some evil dudes in there and that we were going to, you know, we never went at night. We would go in there with our homemade slingshots and everything. And one time, must have been, you know, in retrospect, it must have been teenagers hanging out in there or something. We were going through and we were like doing our like little platoon, full metal jacket, red dawns, (laughs) creeping around with our slingshots and a brick came flying out one of the windows. And we're like, oh, shit. And we never, there's no explanation for it. I'm sure in retrospect, again, it was probably just older kids hanging out and they're right. smoking a joint or something. And I don't think we ever went back. But there was like a, there was like a two or three week period where that was our thing every day. Tom, you know, mom, Tommy's mom would drive him over after school. We'd hang out two or three hours, stalk through the woods, explore, get these stories in our heads of like, you know, there's drug dealers in there type of thing. And that was a whole thing that really spoke to that time period of 87, 88, 89 for me because again this was all new to us we got to there was all these places to explore not even to say anything about the bay or the water being down there too which is a whole nother element of like really finding yourself in this place that was so so different than what you were used to in just a proper suburban neighborhood this was much different yeah and i like that you brought up to the uh kind of the interesting i mean because long island obviously is on the water so how the the far or the forest or the woods just butts right up to the water very distinct makeup like you said the thickets and the the thorns and the pine barrens and and then you know the the reeds and all of that but it's very distinct because it's like sandy and marshy yeah and i remember walking back there in like the preserve when i was a little older and just like you you like eventually like step into like something like you sink into the earth basically like a foot you know and you're like oh shit and your shoes all wet yeah like (laughs) And yeah, trying to get as close to the water as possible, basically, was always a little bit of an adventure. And it's fun, man. It's fun to to think about these things. And and I love that you brought up also the stories like that you would tell yourself. It always felt very dangerous. Like you would find some old bottle or like a cigarette butt and you'd think like, oh, what was going on here? But really, it was nothing. It was like just people partying or being, you know, getting away from things. Nothing. It's unlikely things are sinister things. I remember. Uh, our neighbor, Mike, who is the older brother of my friend, Tim, he would tell us. Sto- I remember him telling us stories about like the bad things that would happen in the woods or whatever. Like, you know, a girl got hit by the train here, you know, like where the train went, goes down by, I guess, like Jim's Deli or not even Jim's Deli. But what is that road called? I don't even know. The, the, I know that, the you little know side outlet road yeah. that runs along like the right tracks. A, right. Oh, I wish I, I knew. I, I, yeah, I can't remember. But I remember like there was like big piles of dirt and debris and stuff. And you'd be like, yes. oh, there's like a body in there. And <gasps> So like there was always a sense of danger, but like you said, it was like, I don't think I ever had like a confrontation or like anything like that. You always expected it and you were afraid of that, which is funny because I was too. And then 
I I just have to also bring up, uh, and I, I circle this in my notes because I, I must say the long part of the Long Island experience in the woods is is poison ivy. If you are not immune to it, which some people are, it is a fact of absolute life on Long Island. I used to get poison ivy all the time. As a kid, every, did you really? Yeah, every year. Every year I would get poison ivy. Dad knows well because first of all, we had a pool, so it was which is great for poison ivy. So yeah. you just like dive in and whatever. But also I would like take oatmeal baths and everything. Like I just couldn't help oh, myself shit. from getting this stuff. Like because I was just all over the place. Did you have an experience with Poison Ivy, because some people don't get it or don't get it badly. And then some people get it really badly. And I'm one of those people. Yeah. When I was a kid, I didn't get it. And I knew where That's it was crazy. specifically. If you remember, like, the, you know, we had the two garage doors and then dad built that little walkway on the side of the house that led around back eventually to the pool and the deck. If you kept going towards, I guess that was um, Ed and Rose house. At a, yeah. Not Ed and Rose. Uh, Ed, Ed, Ed and Ann. Ann's house. Right. If you kept going along the fence towards their house, there was a lot of poison ivy in there. And, you know, just playing ball and skating and everything over the years in the driveway and stuff, things would end up in there. And people would actually ask me to go in and get things because I just didn't get it. It just didn't affect me. I don't know if I was just getting lucky and not hitting it, but I doubt that was the thing. Now I get it terrible. I mean, I feel like I can't be near poison ivy without getting it. Every year, inevitably, I get it like in the beginning of spring when we start landscaping and weeding and everything and then the end of the summer and it's not like we have a ton back here but if i'm i feel like if i'm anywhere near it i'm gonna get it but as a kid for for some reason i just was immune to it isn't that strange my mother-in-law swears that she's immune to it too actually now to you know today like she'll say i'll pull it out just give me the garbage bag i'll pull it out whatever and i'm like you're gonna get po- <laughs> this poor woman's gonna get poison ivy for some reason she thinks she's immune to it but well because i think i think some people yeah she might not be but i think some people are because i think especially with landscaping, like, uh, like coastal landscaping. If yeah. you, you like people, some people are immune to it and just can go in and like, Oh, you build cause up a you have to like, dis- you have to get rid of it. You know, some, you're really not supposed to do this, I think, but I think some people do it if they do have the immunity or they do it in the middle of nowhere is burning it, getting rid of it, but you okay. can get it in your, you can get it in your lungs. Like oh. there's no real good. I think it can kill you if you get it in. Like That's you can breathe awful. It in. But I think, um, there's like no good way to get rid of it. Oof. And uh, so, oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. I wonder if it's because of your background as a Boy Scout, too, where, you know, because I'm, I'm I was a fucking know anything. I was I was going running through the woods like an idiot. Yeah. Not really looking around for anything. I even when Poison Ivy was pointed out to me over and over and over again by people like dad and whoever it was, I'd be like, and then I, you know, and then I'd, I'd think it was the wrong thing. And then I would, t- you know. Or I was like weeding people's yards for money and you would just get it in all sorts of different ways. Oh, it was everywhere. So, it was everywhere. Yeah, it was, it, that was totally a fact of, of life. But I did want to bring up Boy Scouts for you. This I wasn't in Boy Scouts and this would bring bring you back really before I was even born or around there. But what's your experience, obviously, in the woods with Boy Scouts, which must be substantial. You've obviously told the story, very funny story of the guy that would like stalk all of you, which is great. But I'm sure really? you have many stories from from being a Boy Scout in the woods. Yeah, that was the. F- I was just thinking about him the other day because I know I talked about that before. Billy, I won't mention his last name. We called him Rambo. Where I, you know, I just think of it in terms of having kids that age now, where it was like back then in the '80s. Of course, I was a lifelong scout. I started as a cub and worked my way up through Weeblos and then Boy Scouts. And mom and dad were always very insistent. I've talked about that on the on the show before, where they were very insistent that I be involved in it. It was very, you know, dad was a scout for some reason. They really were you know, absolutely gung ho about me being a scout. It was no questions asked, you know, no bones about it. You're doing this type of thing. And 
ultimately, I did enjoy it. And camping in the woods was a big part of, the, of what I enjoyed. You know, I didn't enjoy going to the meetings every Wednesday night, you know, especially I, I've talked about when I started skateboarding. I just wanted to be doing that. And it was it was sort of an un, you know, an unacceptable break in my routine. But eventually I did learn to definitely learn to enjoy it. The funny thing about scouts in general with camping was that we did it all year round. So we had a spring camp out. We had a winter camp out called the Polar Bear which could be at one of several campsites on Long Island, usually on Long Island, sometimes up into uh, upstate New York or the boroughs, but usually it, was, it took place on Long Island. And those were hard. Those polar bears were hard because sometimes it would get below freezing at night and you had crappy sleeping bags and you were just in a tent and whatever food your parents supplied you with and all that kind of stuff. But really my biggest probably remembrance of the woods proper with Boy Scouts was summer camp because that was an opportunity to be away from home for a week, usually just a little more than a week, and just be living in the woods for that long stretch of time uh, by itself. And usually what happened, I, and I think I only did it probably three times, three different summers. And it was at a scout camp called Baiting Hollow, which was in Calverton, out east on the North Shore near Riverhead, for those of you who know Long Island. Very, very rural setting, east of even where we were at on Long Island, pr pretty far out east not too far from the Hamptons and on the North shore baiting hollow was, uh, you know, I don't know how many acres it was. It was a huge expanse, had a beautiful freshwater Lake. And then part of the camp was bordered on a beach that was right on the long Island sound again on the North shore. So it had a, it was really, a, it was really a pretty place. And then it had all, you know, it was kind of a, a proper adventure. You would school would be out, whatever. This was probably in June and you would go, to maybe it was July and you would go to the camp and it was just being, you know, it was my only camp experience because we weren't camp kids. We didn't grow up going to summer camp proper and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was that, you know, that week, usually week or eight day long scouting trip with your troop and you would go and you would, you would basically live in a campsite. Each troop would have a campsite and you would live in a tent, but the tents had wood frames, picture it, right? wood frames and like deck wood decked floors. So a little elevated and then they would be canvas tents on top. So it was sort of a hybrid between a cabin and a tent and that's, and then it would be two boys to each, I think it was two or four boys to each, maybe depending on the size to each tent. And then you would have really makeshift wooden bunks. And then there was like a mess hall and a general store where you could buy candy and maybe they had a little supply of magazines or you could buy a, snacks and drinks and a toothbrush that was kind of like the meeting spot the general store and then there were trails and you could just do all the, the camping things archery you go out on a canoe on the lake you go fishing on the lake and then there was different stations different buildings if you wanted to do basket weaving or make a leather wallet and all the lame stuff we would try to basically spend all our time on the lake or doing archery or something that was exciting maybe you could, you could go on the beach for the night and then there was a giant communal campfire area where they would tell ghost stories at night. All the troops would gather. It was a lot of fun. I actually really enjoyed it as an older scout, probably, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And we had a lot of fun. I had a very close friend. I had a bunch of close friends in the troop eventually. My, my friend Mike's dad was the head troop master. My friend Mike, his dad was like the head troop master. We had a very, it was Mr. McCarthy and he, they lived at Brookhaven Hamlet too. And we had a very interesting relationship because I was kind of like, eventually fell into this place where I was kind of like the class clown in Troop 4. 
and I would bust Mr. McCarthy's balls. He loved me like a son, but it was a very sort of advers- jokingly adversarial relationship that we had where I would bust his chops and he would call me a skate rat and all this kind of stuff. And it was very close. And I hung out with Mike a lot because Mike had, this is an important part of the story, actually. Mike had a vert ramp in his backyard, a skate ramp, a 10-foot ramp. I mean, a beautiful multi-thousand dollar, probably tens of thousands of dollars ramp with, you know, skate light. And it was it was beautifully done, professionally built. So I spent, and Mike was a skater, so I spent a lot of time with him in general anyway. So I got to know that family really well. And then Mike's older brother, JJ, was like a senior scout. He would eventually become a life scout. And, and sort of age out of the troop, but he was, so it was Mr. McCarthy, JJ and Mike. And my, my biggest story, which I don't even know if you know this story, Kyle. So I was, it was, might've been my last year or maybe it, it might've been my last year at Baiting Hollow for the summer, or it might've been when I was 14. And it was towards the end of the trip. Maybe it was like one or two days to go. We were almost done with the, with the camp that year. And we were in the mess hall eating breakfast and we got done with breakfast, normal day. We were going to go set, do, you know, set about our business, do what we got to do. Sometimes we would compete against other troops in certain categories. Like the patrols would go out and compete in not tying, or they would compete in some, a totem ship thing, or they would compete in some sort of botany task or whatever. And then sometimes you had free time to do what you wanted to do with who, who you wanted to do. We'll go out on the canoe, we'll go to go do some archery. And we were going to go do what we had to do. And I was leaving the mess hall. And it was one of those things, dude, where it happened faster than I can even remember how it happened. My finger, so if you picture like an old school mess hall, it has those those screen doors that kind of swing both ways. They swing in and out. My finger yeah. got caught in there somehow. Oh. And I basically was like, holy shit. And when I took it out, the tip of my finger was hanging off. Like the top inch of my middle finger, you could see the scar. Now, I don't think the bone was involved. It was just high enough. Where my thing, I pulled it out and it was obviously bleeding and it was crooked. And I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, I, I panicked. I like freaked right, out. Scary. I went into shock, right? That's and scary. Mr. McCarthy, I'll never forget this as long as I live. You know, I have to remember, I was always busting this guy's balls. I went over, I ran over to him and the other scoutmasters still sitting at their table, finishing up breakfast, their coffee, whatever they were doing. And I was like, Mr. McCarthy, look, like my, my finger, what the, f-? you know, I was like, I was freaking out. And he was like, cut the shit, Moriarty. Like, what are you doing? Like it was a total boy who cried wolf moment. And it literally felt like an eternity until where he's like, Oh shit. Like you're not kidding. You know, it was like, it was definitely a couple of beats, like a couple of times of like, you know, why are you busting my balls? I'm trying to drink my coffee type thing. Then when he realized what it was, I don't even remember anything after that. I just remember sitting in some local hospital. I don't even know what hospital could have been out there. And sitting on like the, you know, the examining table of, and the doctor fixing my, you know, giving me a shot and fixing my finger, you know, and straightening my finger and, and getting stitches and dad being there, wherever dad was, he had to shoot out from wherever he was and going home after that, like that trip got cut short because of that injury. But that was, uh, it's it's so unfortunate because uh, there were so many great memories of that place, but that'll always be the preeminent memory now of like almost losing the table fucking finger. yeah that's that's scary yeah you would have had it like sucked. a um, like elizabeth and bioshock infinite would put a little thimble on the end of your finger dude and you know what i think of that group of guys in my troop like that motley crew of people the fact that no one lost a limb or a finger or a toe with the axes and the saws and all the kind of shit we did and that that was the 
that was the injury. It was like me of all people. We had Billy, we had Rambo, we had like this guy, Dave, who was a wild man. Like people would just go out and do whatever the hell they wanted. You know, it was like, yeah. And you had like, and you had like, you know, bows and arrows and knives and all it was, 22s like rifle ranges and stuff like that outdoor like i just feel like i was gonna say earlier like i feel like it's so different now like certainly there would not be a boy who we got to the campsite and would get lost for two or three days and just do his own thing out of the purview of the scout masters like that would not go down anymore that's what billy did he just basically he was a survivalist he lived off the land we'd be like (laughs) where the hell is billy and we'd see him three days later he'd pop up in the mess hall because he was hungry like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's it. You know, it's like that would never fly today. So I feel in a way it's so funny to think back find him. to those times because it's just that would not that would just not be kosher now ever. I was going to ask you, I mean, it, it, it kind of splits off of this because you're talking about play and play in the 80s and 90s and play today. And this comes up on our show often. But like, how does your son interact with the world? Like if you put him in the woods is he going to be a boy about it or is he like, I, I can't, I don't have a good read on him cause I'm not around him very often, but yeah. he seems much more like me than you. And I don't know if that, I mean, I had my woods. I liked being outside, but I, I think I was much more into being inside than you were. Generally, you like to go skate. That was always like a supplement to your activity. You'd rather go to the arcade even than play in, inside the house. I'd rather just like play and like not go outside at all for the most <laughs> of my life. I kind of get that vibe from your son, but a little, but not as bad as me. Yeah. And I embrace that. But like, what, how does he play? Like, does he, is he a little boy about like playing war and going into the woods and throwing grenades and doing all that? Cause I don't have a read on children today either. So it's hard for me to figure it out. Yeah. And it, it does feel different today too, just in general, not only applying to Graydon, but just in general. No, it's a great question. He does have, there is a large part of his personality that is a lot like his uncle Kyle, for sure. Like he loves comfort. He loves to come home, get in his jammies, play a video game or watch YouTube. Does he carry his comforter around the house? (laughs) He straps his magnet to his head. The whole nine yards. It's still a joke, by the way, in the family that like I would basically just walk around in my underwear and just take my comforter with me, like from couch to couch, like or like like, if I go to the kitchen, I like be like draped in my comforter (laughs) at the table, like eating. And then I'd like go lay on the couch in the comforter and I'd just you be in my underwear. You know what's funny? Like he well, through, like through high school. I did you that. did. Yeah, I was going to say, you. Uh, yeah, all the way through school, I would say. K yeah. through 12, that was your yeah. that was your MO. <laughs> it is so funny, dude, because he he does have that. He does do the blanket thing. And sometimes it is the, comf- the you know, the covers from his actual bed, too, which is which is really funny. I remember you walking in once to me, like in when I was in high school and I was like probably sleeping at like one in the afternoon or something. And you just came in and just ripped the comforter <laughs> off me. And I was just like, it was just like my body, like my <laughs> just spread out like my. <laughs> That's awesome. I, do fond memory I love of that. that. But... I love that, dude. I love. Those yeah, but so like, is he what what's he does? So he does have a little bit of he has me that. and him. But, but what what about his outdoorsiness and all of that is he, he it? loves it he's at, the thing about Graydon is this and this is my biggest bone bone of contention it's a very timely conversation for us to have because this is something going on with me and Helene versus the kids right now too specifically Graydon is that I was so different than him when I was a kid because I really you know listen I love to wake up Saturday morning big bowl of cereal watch cartoons I loved like even as an older kid coming home and watching like the Disney afternoon block like DuckTales and Darkwing like I was all in for TV. I was all in for video games all the way from the inception of the Atari. I loved arcades, obviously. I loved all that stuff. But 
my personality was very much like, okay, soak all that stuff in for a little while. And then it fired me up to want to go outside and do things, whether it was like, I wanted to play baseball with my friends or play transformers with Tommy or start a whole new GI Joe action figure campaign with him or go swimming or just pal around with John, whatever it was like, I would get fired up to go do things. You know, I feel like if you put Graydon, I, I feel like he would. If you put him in, in front of the video games for three days and said, here, I have had it for 72 hours, he would have had it for 72 hours. You know, that wasn't that wasn't me. So it's like me trying to understand, you know, trying to understand and get into the inner workings, the sort of the cogs of your kid's mind. But here's the thing about Graydon that's interesting. He loves nature and being outside. Like he's a very flip over the stone and look at the bugs underneath type of kid. You know, he's not squeamish. He loves hiking. You know, we're, we're, we're lucky to be in a really beautiful place in Bucks County where there's really beautiful spots. You know, we have like Peace Valley and we have ringing rocks and we have, you know, we have the different lakes and caves and all that kind of stuff. We, there's a lot of places to go and he loves that. He loves an adventure. But with Graydon, and a lot of you parents out there may be able to speak to this. I don't think this is uncommon. You have to sort of get him out there. And then he doesn't want to come back in, you know, like he's just starting fishing in our pond, which is in walking distance with a friend of his whose family is like really like outdoorsy, like they're hunters and fishermen and stuff like that. And Graydon is just starting his friend Carter is teaching him how to fish because he's never really been fishing before. And he was just telling me this morning, like, oh, I'm going to meet Carter after school. We're going to go up to the pond and go fishing. So but you have to get him out there and then it's hard to get him back in. You know, so he has both. He's interesting in that he has both dimensions to his personality. Like he has that outdoorsy, I don't want to come in type. And then he has that, you know, he has that mindset of like, I'm just fucking around with YouTube and, and, and switch today, you know? So you have to prompt him. He's, he's, and maybe it's his age. Maybe he'll stay like this for a little while. I don't know where it's like, you got to kind of push him out the door and then it's hard to get him back in. That's what I'm finding with him right now. Lily is a little better because her MO is hanging out with her friends. So it's whatever her friends are doing. If her friends are walking around outside or they're going to walk up to Wawa or go to the playground and hang out, as long as she's with her friends, that's all that matters. That's what her sort of, that's what she, her life centers around. So it's easier to get her out and about. And her not best be friend so also lives down the street, right? Which is nice. Yeah, her best friend's three that's houses a great, down. That's great advantage. And then yeah. everybody's close by. You know, she has like a posse of six or seven that are super close and they're all, you know, relatively close by. So... Yeah, so it's, you know, it's interesting that, I, you know, for, with, with Graydon, it's like, as a parent, I'm going through those doldrums now of like, dude, like, if I say you could play video games for a couple hours, sick, like, that's awesome, like, play video games for a couple hours, let me see you put it down of your own accord and go do something. Because the reason we have to limit it with him is because he'll just keep doing it. You know, it'll be Monday morning and he, you know, he, he wouldn't even stop to eat. I feel like, you know, that type of thing where it's like, just show me and sh especially with Helene, you know, show her that you could put it down, that you have the discipline of like, all right, I'm going to go do something else. Then come back, you know, come back to it this way. It's not a battle. You know what I mean? But he's just not, it's not clicking yet with him. You know, right. I think about you a lot with this conversation. I'm like, well, what would Colin think of this? Because I have to limit it because it's like, that's all you want to do. You know, it's like, remember, like you like outside. Remember, yeah. you like being on your bike. You like being in nature. Like, go do that. Yeah, it's very important to kind of have balance in your life. I've I don't have very much balance in my leisure activities, but I have 
life work balance better than ever, which I think is not something a kid has to worry about. So in, in that that's huge. Yeah. So when, when you're younger, it's about having a more diverse um, and inquisitive set of hobbies or whatever that hopefully cross you over into various things. So you have at least a little bit of a taste. And then if he thinks that he or no, he'll know better that what's well, like I've because tr- that's kind of how I feel now where it's like, well, I've done all this stuff. I mean, I'm, I've done many things. I'm 36 years old. I want to sit in front of a TV and play video games, you know, been around the world. I've done exciting things and you know, like, it's like a cool, I, I appreciate that people like doing that, but now I'm old enough to know that if I never left the U S again, for instance, I'd be perfect. <laughs> I always say that. <laughs> so, you know, like, but that's because I'm a, I'm a creature of, of comfort and it's not your son definitely is as well. I mean, I, I can, I can identify that from a mile away. I'm like, I know I, I have like a symbiosis with him where I'm like, I know, I know, yeah. you know, and, 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 remember, and I'll be interested to see how you deal with him in high school because that's when dad and I started to really get into conflict with. But the difference is, is that you are, you are into everything that he likes. So yes. it's different. Dad didn't understand. I've, I said, and I've said this many times on the show, so I don't mean to be redundant, that, that dad basically apologized to me in so many words when I graduated college for busting my balls so much. Because he's like, wow, like you really did know what you were doing. You know, I, I told the story about how I remember when, when his 486 PC broke down and it just happened to break when I was using it. He blamed me for it. Yes. And I'm like, but I didn't do anything. <laughs> you do don't this. even know what you're talking about. You know, like it, your computer just crashed. Like, And it was years later that he started to acknowledge all this stuff and started to talk about how cool it was that the key, my keyboard in my room on my Sony Vial, like had no letters on it or whatever, you know. So it, it's going to bring you guys into some sort of, if not conflict, some sort of dance. And yeah, you're going to I think so. have to figure it out. You know? It's interesting that you say that because I think I am sort of sympathetic or empathetic to him because I think sometimes he does think with Helene, it's a little different. She's not a gamer. She doesn't have those nerd centric qualities or anything like that. But for me, I think he thinks of like, why are you busting my chops like this? You love this stuff, too. You know, and I'll tell him because you got to you got to find a balance. You can't just do this one thing all day. And a lot of it, too, is appeasing mom. You know, it's like play the game, dude, like show her, like, you're going to put this down. Like you could, you, you start at like 9am on a Saturday morning, you're done at 11, you go outside for a little while, you know, shoot hoops, go play, go fishing with Carter, you know, ride bikes, whatever. And then when you come back, you hit it, you know, you hit the video games or just, I tell him, you know, and you tell me if you agree with this strategy, actually, I tell him hit the video games at night. Wait till after dinner, wait till the evening time. Video games are perfect for the nighttime because you already got a day in. You already did some things that you had to do. You spent time with family. You got some fresh air. You played with the kids in the neighborhood. You played with, you had a play date with your friends. You went to their house. They came over. You went to town with us and had dinner, whatever you're going to do. Then you come home and you cap your day with the video games because all the other responsibilities are out of the way. Then this thing that you really enjoy a lot, one of your favorite things, you just kind of, you could bask in that for a while. You know, it's like delay your gratification and, you know, do it at night. That's what I always did. I mean, I wasted Mm. so much time, even in high school, playing Nintendo and Super Nintendo when I should have been studying. And it, you know, it it comforted me. It's interesting because he is, he has so much of his Uncle Colin's qualities that sometimes I'll call him Colin. Like, that's how much he reminds me of you at his age. It's been all the way from like three or four, all the way through 10 and 11 now, where it's like, yeah, you were, you're very much like your uncle uncle in that way you know he has he has his own dimensions too but he does have a lot of of that sort of thing where it's like 
I just think it's almost, I almost think like he's going to go, if he doesn't go into animation, he's going to go into video games in some capacity. Like it's just, it really speaks to him. You know, that's really what he, he really enjoys it. You know, that's yeah, great. Maybe we'll all be able to work together um, now that would on be a cool. game in the future. Yeah, that'd that be would awesome. Be cool. Yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of chronicle that and see what happens. I, I think parents, and again, you're different, but I think, because I see this with Dana, who just doesn't understand video games at all and refuses to try to understand them, where it's like, this is more positive than you think. I understand that it's, a lot of it is Fortnite or whatever. Like, yeah, garb, like, sure, sure. It's fine. They're fine games, but it's, I understand a lot of it is Apex Legends or Call of Duty, where it's not, there's not much to it, but many people are playing very deep games that require thought and analysis. And there are games with more, more of a word count than many books, many big books, many popular books. And I wish at the same time, parents realize it's like, okay, your, your kids are probably not playing like Fallout 4 or the Witcher or something, but maybe they are. And if they are, they're basically reading books while they're playing the game. It's great you know, point. they're getting a story, they're learning vocabulary. How many times do I have to say how many vocabulary words I've learned from video games? Sure. I have learned many things from video games. I learned everything I like my whole basis of like Roman and Greek mythology and all of that comes from summons in Final Fantasy games. It's funny how you just get little seeds set in in, you know, you and you oftentimes when I play games, I realized later on, I'm like, oh, shit, that was inspired that inspired this or this is inspired by that. So that's the one thing that frustrates me with parents sometimes is like, just understand that there's more to this than what you think and that it's not that bad. Like if if you're in my opinion, if your kid is sitting in his bed playing The Witcher at night, what's different than that? Like, I understand. So it's different where you're not you're not reading, you're not learning the vocabulary and all that. I get it. But you're you're experiencing a story. It would be like picking up Harry Potter or the Witcher, which is a book series. You know, Absolutely. That, that, that to me always confused me where I'm like, it's not that bad. No, I agree with you on that. I mean, think about it like this. Okay. And this is this, this might be a whole top topic, you know, podcast topic unto itself, but think about it along these lines. How many parents would be bummed if their kids were film buffs, you know, if they were film connoisseurs where it's like a video game, it's just as valid, at least, at least now, just as valid as a film in that you have voice talent, art, art direction, writing, uh, editing. And then I would argue even you would take it a step further to go into all the programming stuff and the intelligence and the publishing and the, the PR people. Everything that surrounds a video game is just, just as valid as a film. I mean, it's a work of art through and through, right? Just like a film. So... And there is so much that, and it also on the other end of what you're saying too, is like, it also engages a kid's imagination, like a book, like a film. It's another form of media to consume that could be just as constructive as a book or a film or a TV show, a TV series, a Netflix series, whatever. So yeah, there is a lot of sort of like, a, there's some kind of panic around video games that really hasn't gone away since the inception of home video gaming, I would say. Or maybe you could even argue D&D or arcade gaming, which is really, it's just not thoughtful. I feel like if people would just stop, it almost becomes a trope or like a cliche. It's like if yes. you just stop and think about it, you know what I mean? It would make more sense to you as a semi-intelligent human being or as a parent. Like this is just another thing for your your kids to engage with. And it's a completely, not only that, but it's a completely valid form of entertainment and a completely valid industry that... And a, and a growing industry, a huge industry and a growing industry 
in our country and many places in the world where it's like they could have a they could do this for a living you know they could make games they could be involved in a development studio or publishing studio or talk about games or create their own indie games whatever so you have to you have to give your kids some rope you know what i mean like you have to give them a modicum of freedom in order to engage in the things they like balance i can understand you know arguing for balance just so they have a just so they have a, a nice breath of variety yeah. in their life. But besides that, it's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's something that I struggle with as a parent just because I want to see, you know, part of it is having a non-gamer spouse. So it's trying to get her on the same page. And she's relatively open-minded. That's fine. But, you know, also it's like just trying to get Graydon to be multidimensional and say, this thing's mm-hmm. going to be here. You know what I mean? Like, I know you dig it. Like, it's sweet like i take it too like let's do all these things and then let's let's if this is the most important thing let's come let's make this our you know let's make this dessert you know what i mean let's come let's go do this tonight together and you i try to be involved with the stuff he's playing too and even if i'm not interested in it you know where it's like so he feels like you know like we didn't grow up with parents like that the baby boomers were not like that you know what i mean they threw us in the in the from from infancy they threw us in, in the playroom gave us our toys. They weren't sitting on the floor playing with us. That's not what that generation did. You know, the Gen Xers were probably the first generation to actually sit down and play with their kids and be engaged with them. So there's a positive in that. So, Definitely. you know, that's, it, it's cool. It's be, it's nice to be able to talk about that with you a little bit because you're the uncle, you know, you should be uh, privy to yeah. these conversations. Yeah, it's inter- it is interesting. And it brings us back to our topic too, because it just allows, it's like what you said, like there's no problem making that choice once you have the breadth of knowledge in order to make an educated or informed choice. And part of that is getting outside and getting in there. And I love that you brought up the point of being inspired to go play. You know, how, how many times did I play Contra or something and like want to go just shoot, you know, shoot things in the woods and all of that or played, you know, go take my sword into the woods and play Dragonware and just beat the shit out of trees basically with <laughs> plastic swords. So it, it definitely comes back to that I, I since we're talking about long island i do have to give a shout out to just a couple of other things though one thing is that when we moved to woodland avenue and that was where i lived in high school my best friend mike pope lived right across the street and across the, his house there's like huge woods that leads up to a farm it's actually the same complex of woods that goes all the way around to the bay back to where we used to live there's like a road that cuts through it but which is beaver dam but that's basically it and we used to go back in there and it's what's funny about it is that Mike is very much like me where he didn't want to grow up like he definitely he's very much like us like he def, he didn't he still doesn't want to grow up and he didn't want to grow up I and get that. he <laughs> loved anime and samurai shit and all you know like all video and 64 and everything and so we actually and I think I said this on the show so I, I'm sorry if I have but we actually had these PVC pipes that we used to fight with like through <laughs> high school. And he had like a, like, I don't know what he did to it, but it was like this, it was dope. It was like a PVC pipe that was just slightly bent. So it looked like a, like a katana. And it was like tempered in some way. Cause I guess we get, first of all, it's powerful. His, his dad was an electrician. So he had like all of this stuff around the house and it seemed like it was just tempered. Like you couldn't break it. And then I had a PVC pipe that was basically like a bow staff and we used to just fight with it, but we were way too old to be doing this. Oh, of course. And then we would, especially like when episode one came out and everything and like Darth Maul, we were just, and I was like 14 or 15 years old. But then like we would go into the woods and we would just walk around for many hours back there, maybe take a backpack and like our weapons. And we were like in 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade doing this. It's awesome. And not like, like we would just just put the thing on my back and like my backpack and we would just, we'd be smoking weed or something and hanging out. But 
he was very much into the Lord of the Rings. He's very much into like, you know, the Witcher and Game of Thrones and all that stuff. And very much in the fantasy and dragons. And so I always think about him because we used to love being in those woods back there. And there was a I, I it was not named this by me. It was named by other generations. So hopefully it's still named this. There's a hill back there called Porkchop Hill. And that's where everyone used to go sledding. I don't I don't know if you remember that. That was like one of the great sledding spots was in that. And Brookhaven was in the woods near dad's house. I'm trying to think of where um, that is. Parallel to South Country Road, like you would go down this hill and it would just it was ama- an amazing. Yes, I think I know where you're talking about. It was an amazing sledding back there. And the only other great sledding place was in front of the high school. But oh to do it, you have to go across the street. So it was so funny. Like people used to do this. I mean, I'm sure I remember doing this and I think I might have done it with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Where Bell, if you go look at Google Maps or whatever, Bellport High School, where we went, it's on a hill. Yes. And in in the uh, in the front, there's like a hill that, you know, grassy hill that goes down and then it goes into a street and then there's like <laughs> woods across the street. And people used to sled all the way down the hill, fly across the street. Yeah. And then into the woods. And, and people, I remember mom and dad being like, well, like a gas that people were. Especially oh, my dad, God. That people, I, gas, but I used to do it. it all. The, I used to do it all the time. Oh, it was such know, a good like, hill. Yeah. Irresistible. Awesome. And people used to stand like on, the, you know, like kind of give you the go. I remember people like giving you the go ahead, like no cars are coming. Cause you you get about five seconds, you know, and then you know, and sometimes I do remember too, like a boarding, you know, boarding was like, ah, wait, 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 wait. oh yeah, of the course, yeah. Just, and then someone's like, <laughs> so like falls off the sled to like stop <laughs> from going, you know, like a lot of trust involved. In yeah, that. dude, so funny, so fun. and yeah. that's that hill. If you went across, if you sled down that hill into the, you know, across the major road into the woods, that was one way, or you could do sideways into the. Part the road that led into the parking lot, which was mm-hmm. a little less dangerous, but there was a high curb on the other side. But if you did, that would like the, curve you around like a bot, like it was like a bobsled. Yeah, that's right. You that. could right. curve around if you right. if you were if you were athletic <laughs> enough to do that to steer it. But if you went across the the woods proper down that hill, that's where we found that old forgotten resort. And the whole thing, we were young skateboarders. We had been skateboarding for two or three years at the time, and. We were watching Animal Chin or some other thing, and we were like, we could f- maybe we could find something in the woods, you know? And we did. I mean, not that it was skatable, but we found these old concrete fountains with like these beautiful concrete statues of women, and then we found a huge pool. Now, what it did the pool didn't have any curved transitions; it was a square concrete pool, an early pool. It turned out to be a resort from like the early 1900s that was like, you know, abandoned. It was it was on somebody's property. But it was it was like that's that woods, that sledding hill. If you just kept going, you know, another I don't even know, 25 paces or something. That's where that all started. And we found we unburied all this crazy stuff. That was the cool thing about Brookhaven is that it was historical and there were there were old things. There were dwellings and things that dated back, even stores and stuff that dated back like 100, 200 years, 150 years, maybe. And that was, you know, in fact, that house, you remember the house? Um. Across from Little Brookhaven Library, where Dana always worked, our sister Dana always worked, there was a house where they filmed the old, you know, not the remake, obviously, the old original Great Gatsby. They filmed some of the exteriors there. It was an old, beautiful Victorian house, big, a big man. I guess it was a mansion, really. They filmed some of the exteriors of the Gatsby there, which I guess was the, God, who was in that one? Um for you. Yeah, it was... Uh, Gosh, I can't remember now. Mia Farrow might have been in that version, actually. And so, you know, it was a historical place, a beautiful place. And, and you know, the woods are such a big part of 
was such a big part of that dude but i just remember it being like it's so funny to think of that we grew up so close to that place and in fact it's important to say i almost forgot about this our elementary school brookhaven elementary was in brookhaven hamlet where we would eventually move but so we always it's not like we didn't know it was there we always were and we had friends that grew up there and stuff like that so actually moving there though was such a was such a life change you know, it was like living in that rural area as opposed to growing up in Medford where it was so much more congested and, you know, just a proper suburban neighborhood rather than a rural space was so interesting. And, it, you know, thinking back to being an elementary school kid, K through three and being in Little Brookhaven Elementary and Brookhaven Hamlet, I never thought I would move to Brookhaven. You know what I mean? Like I never in a million years thought we would move there because mom and dad were looking at like moving, like if you know Long Island, like they were looking at like Comac and... um uh, those areas in the, in the center of the island, you know, where it was like, you know, they could have moved to the center of Long Island, Nassau County. They were looking upstate in Orange County because dad could only go so far. He had to be in a certain radius to still, you know, work in the firehouse. So like, I guess Southern Connecticut was fair territory. But just thinking about like the, the fact that we could have moved to like the center of Long Island, like the Huntington area where they were looking. So to end up in Brookhaven Hamlet was really almost prescient. Because it was like eventually we would come to really know that place. Yeah, it's 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 vital. And uh, to answer your question, 1974, Great Gatsby, Mia Farrow, Mia Robert Redford, Redford, of course, Sam Waterston is oh one. interesting. There so one is. of the things I wanted to bring up quick, Dave. Yeah, about Long Island was when I got into high school, as you know, and some of the audience knows, I got into paintball. And we used to go into the woods and play paintball all the time, and specifically the woods behind Vern Critz, which is an elementary school on Long Island. Like we, we came from, a, I don't know what it is now, but in our district, there were three elementary schools. We went to Brookhaven, but there was another one, a sister one. They all fed into the same schools yep. later on, middle school and high school. But Vern Critz was this high school where we used to actually, or elementary school rather, where we used to actually always go to play baseball in a little league. And around that was there were these like this, this crescent of woods. And I used to go back there and play paintball all the time. And it was awesome. I mean, those woods were, I remember, I, I don't know, do people still go to baseball games with like their, like their siblings and then like just go dick off in the woods. Like that's what I used to do when I used that's to go awesome. to, the, to that place. See, I don't go. think that goes on anymore. I think yeah. now the little ones come and they go, the, the, it seems like all the ball fields have the little companion playground. So they're all hanging out on the playground or they're just hanging out with their parents. See, I don't think it's like free form like that anymore, whereas like the little ones just go off on their own. I remember yeah. there like there was a wall. I remember like what like it was a, the wall of the building where people used to play suicide all the that's time, which is like the which I love. I love that game. And that's where you meet like there are big kids and little kids and you'd be a fucking horrified of the, you know, because the big kids would be nailing you with the racquetball <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Tell me I about love. your paintball campaigns, though, because I. Yeah thought this would come up for you i remember you were really into this for a while and i kind of largely missed the paintball thing just it was like a generational thing and i remember you being really into it you know were these like full scale hour-long campaigns how many oh, yeah. people did you play with like yeah we had probably i would say depending on the week we i, I was introduced to a group of people at, at school and also at pat med that played together so it was like through hockey and some other people. And so we had a group of probably between 10 and 15 people that would play depending on the weekend. And we would all dress in total camo, like, you know, like go to the army surplus store. That's awesome. And we would split up into even teams and we would break apart probably like a half a mile in these woods. 
and like start in a center space and just be like keep walking for like 15 minutes and when it's 15 minutes is up then like turn around and then like we can find each other and we used to, I remember awesome. it was it was scary dude like it didn't really hurt because we had so much stuff on but like you're slinking because if you get hit once you're you're done so right you're like slinking through the woods and you hear like like if someone here like you hear like the, the noise and you can kind of like hear the trajectory it's it's the closest i've ever i will ever get probably to being in a war that's so cool and i remember getting hit in the head once you used to wear these helmets but i remember i so clearly remember like the second before it happened because you could see the ball it was a red ball you could see it arcing like like is it's not like a bullet where it's traveling that fast like you can you don't want to sh- you can't shoot paintballs too quickly or they explode in your barrel so you need to shoot you need to sh- and you don't want to shoot them too slow or they don't they don't break right so they have to, but you can see them coming like if you and like i remember just being like you see it it's like boop, like right in your face you know like and like explodes great game you know oh, great, so like a really i think airsoft has largely taken over but as far as i can tell but they're okay. different but i loved paintball and it was a great i had a spider gun which was like a really expensive gun and you would like carry around if you had a ball explode in your barrel would be like really just devastating there was like the snake thing you'd like put in your barrel and like try to clean it while you were like getting fired upon <laughs> it was awesome like you know it was really skit dude it's dope like dude, i, 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 lo- really, I, I love it i, I feel like people that. would really enjoy playing it if they gave it you know in the woods oh. in the woods not at one of those paintball places oh it sounds like a proper fantasy I, the only time i ever did it interestingly enough really did it was with dad there was a fdny versus right. the the police department Versus the PD and uh, didn't the you get NYPD. lit up or something? Something like that happened. Didn't something happen at that? Is there any story from that? that I feel like I vaguely we were so exhausted. I remember the one thing we were so exhausted that we were so tired that I drove home. I drove Dad's car home, and we were upstate. I think we were somewhere upstate in Orange County. I think I do remember that. It was an exhausting day, and I remember thinking like we're gonna get killed. Like we're we're fa- it's the firefighters. They're crazy, but we're facing cops. Like the these cops, guys don't know how to yeah. shoot. Yeah. They know guns. They know tactics. You know, it's like we're going to get it's like the crazy people versus the people that know what they're doing, basically. And I think it kind of played out like that. You know, like the firefighters were just nuts and the cops <laughs> were more reserved and tactical. And like we got our asses kicked, you know. Yeah, that's funny. I, it's um, I always think, too, I never got to go to one. But the a big tradition with the FDNY and the NYPD is is their hockey rival rivalry yeah. where they, they play each other on in, on Long Island and in big New York thing. City. It's awesome. Yeah, I love I always loved that. Like. I always wanted an FDNY like jersey, like a hot, like with our hockey jerseys. That dope. would be cool. Yeah, but maybe one day. Yeah, that'd be cool. The other thing I needed to bring up, Dig, is just a middle school memory. So I lived in New England, as everyone knows, for five years, and I would go back to Long Island for the summers. So I lived in Maine and New Hampshire, and in Maine, I got really into mountain biking. And so I'd be in the woods all the time in York, Maine, mountain biking, and that was a great time for me. But I thought that people would find funny that in seventh grade, when I lived in New Hampshire, I went to nature's classroom, which is a thing that exists. It's a proper now nature's classroom. It's like a it's like a go away. You go away with your class for like a week or two. Okay. And you do things in the woods. And I don't know about this. People in New England, if you say that around, they typically know what it is. And I think some people elsewhere. But I went to this thing and you like go away for a week and you basically can't you have like camp counselors and it's but it's during the school year okay and in seventh grade i like had a really i don't remember the exact the specifics of it mom might remember more but like i had a really hard time like being away for some reason in seventh grade during this nature's classroom thing 
I did it. I like I went through it because I remember like some kids like went home. It was probably in like, you know, upstate New Hampshire and you had to drive a few hours. So it was like a big pain in the ass to get back to Dover where I lived. And so the next year I didn't go. And I remember being the best decision ever because like four or five of us didn't go in that class. And then we just literally were in school all week just playing video games on like Apple II. Just you guys. Yeah, just like the fight. It was like me and my friend Joe and a couple other people, <laughs> like all very strategic. Like, we don't want to go to this. That worked out. Yeah. So I, I thought people would find that funny. If you're a New Englander, you'll remember nature's classroom. But of course, New England has wonderful woods and beautiful scenery up there, whether you're in beautiful, Maine, whether yeah. you're in Vermont, of course, Vermont, the Green Mountains, the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Yeah. Beautiful up there. Connecticut's not very beautiful. Rhode Island's not very beautiful, but everything else is. <laughs> and the other thing I needed to bring up just you know, in passing, before I kick it back to you, if you have any other stories you want to tell is, even though we don't talk so much about our adulthood, I thought it would be interesting to, to bring up California because California is so different than where we grew up in, in you know, topographically that both living in San Francisco for 10 years and then in LA for three years, I did a lot of interesting hikes and we're, we're, we're in a lot of interesting places. It's a, California is a wonderful place for outdoors stuff, especially if you live in San Francisco or the Bay Area like I did and you go to Tahoe which is a few hours northeast of the Bay Area it is stunning absolutely the most stunning stuff you will ever see in your mm. life is in you know jagged mountains and redwoods that are a thousand years old and just a, it, it feel, I remember um with my ex Cheryl who a long time fans will remember we used to go hiking all the time and we went hiking up in Tahoe it was probably 2011 or 2012 and we were so in over our heads on this one trail I remember like we were just and and so I remember there being a tree where it was like scratched like where a bear was clearly like oh. you know cleaning his claws or doing something like that as we were walking by and I'm like we are way over our heads on this trail like because I remember being in the parking lot down like at the hill of this thing and people had like you know their guns and and all of that, you know, our knives strapped to them and stuff like that. And it's real serious up there. It's cool. And, and I, I highly recommend Lake Tahoe because you can do so much up there. You can do water sports. You can ski. You can hike. Yeah. Play hockey. You can run and do cross country stuff around there. Shop. You can also cross the border in Nevada and gamble. There's a uh, right across the, the um, right across the border is a town in Nevada called State Line. And it's a, like a very, very, very small gambling town. And oh, it's super wow. cool. So a lot to do up there, but I had to give a shout out to that. Even though we don't talk too much in nostalgia about our adulthood, I would be loath not to bring up the beauty of California woods, the Northern California. You, Northern California is infested with eucalyptus trees, which is true. And they came, that. they came. Yeah. So like it's an invasive species that came from Australia. Uh, someone brought it over for some reason, like what lumber or something. But if you go into a lot of the woods in Northern California, like the more arid woods, they're basically t totally taken over by eucalyptus trees. Wow. And that's only happened in the last like 100 and 150 years. That's crazy. And then if you go further north from there into what's interesting about the redwood forest is that it never rains or it very atypically rains up there. And yet it is very moist because it is always so foggy. And they think that that is like what feeds the, the slow life of these trees and you don't understand what a redwood is until you stand next to one. Like oh, you can, can look imagine. at a picture of it, but it's nuts. It's absolutely bonkers how big these trees are. That's and fascinating. So I have to, have to recommend hiking up there as well. Oh, dude. I've been fascinated with Northern California and the redwood forest ever since uh, Return of the Jedi. Right. Yeah, of course. Ever, since, uh, ever since Endor. Awesome I'm like, stuff. that place is real? Like, 
there's a tunnel built through that tree for cars like yeah it's insane yeah, and, and they have cool little things where they sometimes like a tree will fall and you know die so they'll take the they'll take a ring out of it you know or like a like a circle out of it and then put it up on like a huge placard and then they'll have little arrows and they'll say like this was you know when charlemagne signed the magna carta this is when columbus sailed the ocean this you know and they would point to the specific arrows of the specific years which is cool you can know? you imagine so. there's something so cool about trees in fact it's funny i was thinking about this you don't remember this tree in brookhaven again where we grew up in front of St. James Church, remember that old, gnarled, huge tree that was out front? So yes. the thing about that tree is there was this old, huge tree. I mean, it had to be hundreds of years old. And it was one of those massive trees that you could never even hope to get your arms around. It was so thick. And it had all those bulbs and it looked like it was kind of like a melting candle. Like it had, it was just, you know, you just, every time, the thing about that tree, first of all, is that you had, in order to get in and out of Brookhaven Hamlet, in, at least in that direction, there was like two ways really out of there. And you had to, in order to get out in one direction, like up towards the high school, you had to pass that tree. So we saw it every day. And I would just think like, can you imagine? It was like, almost like the Redwoods where it was like, how how many things have has this tree seen? How many years, fads, styles of dress, different eras of automobiles? Like this tree has been privy to so much if it had eyeballs, if it had lips to talk, you know, like right. it could, it probably, you know, talk about historical, like that thing was there for so long. Like, you know, and that just plays into forests for me too. Like the fascinating thing about it, like that is, I think why we love it, why, why it's like a retreat for us, why we want to escape to nature and the woods is like, that's the natural state of earth. You know, of course you have oceans and you have deserts and you have tundra and other types of environments, but that's taiga. one of the main. <laughs> What'd you say? Taiga, the that's like the tundra meets forest. Oh. T a t a i g a. Very fancy, very fancy. Yeah. But you know what? That's like undisturbed, undeveloped, the earth as it should be. And I think there's a certain fascinate. You know, there's a certain fascination in that, as you said, the foliage, the trees, the wildlife. A lot of the times we associate it with bodies of fresh water or beautiful scenery maybe mountains but that's the really that's what's so cool about it there's one there's one uh stretch of woods that i have to give a shout out to that i thought about as i was bullet pointing some some of my different experiences as a kid and and you'll know this place kyle although i'm curious to see how different it was for you and that is the woods behind behind our high school again in brookhaven sure. time behind belport high school and why it was such an important part of my life as a high schooler was I took that very sort of played out in retrospect trajectory of like, I'm too cool for my high school. You know, like I, I, I just didn't want to be there. A lot of my friends were in other school districts. There weren't too many people that skateboarded in school with me. So I, I knew a lot of kids from neighboring districts and I just didn't from probably 10th grade on, I just was over it, you know? So every time me and a couple of other friends who happened to skate, my friend Adam, my friend Andy, who was a year older than me. Every time there was a pep rally, we decided we were going to get out of Dodge, right? So a couple of times a year, we were going to we were gonna not attend the pep rally. So the pep rally was like midway through the day or something. We were going to, we were going to break north. So there was a stretch. Our high, fortunately, there was like a, a perimeter of woods around the back fields of our high school. So we had the track 
and a baseball field, a couple of football fields, the parking lot and everything like that. And behind that ran like in a U shape, basically woods. So we were able to just ditch like from the right, pretend we were going to the pep rally, walk right out of the auditorium, straight to the woods. And now if you crossed the football fields in a diagonal, you could get where we, we were going much quicker, which is the back woods and then the railroad tracks. And then on the other side of that, not too far away was like the pizzeria and the mm. deli, eventually the video store. So you could rent like Nintendo cartridges and stuff. There was a candy shop back there at one time, a couple other things. There was a tiny surf shop there, a short lived surf shop there for a little while. So we would be able to go and just get a slice of pizza, get, get a drink, do all that kind of stuff. But if you cross the football field, you were out in the open. So mm-hmm. there was a there was a a decent chance you were going to get caught or you were going to get seen and then you would get like a detention or whatever. So if you went in the U shape around the woods, it would take longer. But there was only a very small expanse that you had to cross that was out in the open. And once you cleared that, you were you were home free because you would just go in that U shape. It would take a little while and then you would get to where you were going, Ragtime or Jim's Deli or whatever. And so most of the time we didn't risk it. We just, you know, we would cross that little expanse, 50 paces or whatever, and get to the woods. And very rarely do we get seen. But that woods always reminded me of being in high school because, you know, it always represented freedom to me. And it was always a little bit fun to cross that wide open area, you know, and, and then become home free. And then like you felt like a, you achieved a sense of victory because you actually, you weren't seen, you broke, you broke out. You probably weren't going to get noticed. I don't know that the teachers were really keeping track of the pep rallies anyway, but we felt we felt like we were getting over. Yeah, so you're super accomplished fun. for sure. Yeah. And then there was really cool shout out to my friend Eric, who I grew up with, who I think listens to the show and Jason, too. But Eric was a really good BMXer. Like he was a competitive BMXer. And there were some really cool BMX tracks back there. I don't know if you remember that. Like there were berms and jumps and stuff. And I think he and his friends, if not the slightly older generation at that time, made all that stuff. So they were able to do all this crazy BMX stuff. And I remember the stuff was just, I always talk about my fear of biking. Like I just wasn't good at BMX, although I thought it was badass. And I remember just looking at those jumps and stuff and being like, this stuff is too big for me. Like I can't, you know, like I could barely bunny hop on a BMX yeah, bike. I, I- Dude, I, I mean, because I had my BM, my couple years of BMXing in high school. It's hard to avoid that if you're. It's hard on Long Island. I feel like it's hard to avoid either. You're gonna be maybe you'll skate. Maybe you, I mean, aggressive inline was a thing when I was a kid. Although that's not really a thing anymore, which I thought was kind of corny. And then you know, a lot of people would like to go skiing and snowboarding. You were gonna get into something, sure. I think like that. And I I gravitated towards BMX for a few years. I had a sweet red line and all of that. But I remember doing my first jump on on one of those kinds of things and bailing immediately, being like, oh no. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like I I remember watching, there was a place I used to go in Pat Med that was, it's quite memorable because it's, it's like those huge power conduits, you know, that just like run down, like they're huge things they're bringing, I guess, power from. Oh, sure. Yeah. The high, the high tension lines. Right. Yeah. And there was like underneath one of those was like these sets of ramps, like near Brookhaven multiplex actually. And, uh, I used to watch people and I did a few things there, but I used to watch people and be like, holy fuck. Fuck. Oh, like man. I don't even, not even doing anything, but just literally the act of just jumping and landing your bike was like a huge thing for me. And I eventually was able to do that, but I never, and what's so shitty is I broke my, I ended up breaking my shoulder on BMX doing nothing. Oh, that's always yeah. how it goes. Dude, doing always. like I, cause I got, I, 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 not that I was ever crazy, but I'm like, man, I could have broken all sorts of bones doing some of the shit I did. And then I just, my chain just breaks when I'm fucking riding the work. It's like, damn dude, that's that brutal. Sucks. 
That's yeah. brutal. Well, I mean, the thing with BMXing and jumping, I give you a lot of credit for doing it because my thing with that was there was no stepping up difficulty wise. It's like, what is the margin for error or what is like, you know, like what is that initial time of doing it? You can't really bail. So it's like, you know, once it's like just, I guess it's a feeling of like, okay, I think I'm ready to commit to this now because the margin for error for a big jump or a big berm or something like that is like, I don't know, man. Like you have to feel like you're proper and ready for that before you commit. It's not like learning how to kickflip on a skateboard and just do it into the grass or something for a little while. You could step up in difficulty and kind of make your way towards certain milestones. But with BMX, it's like, it's heavy, you know? And I think, I think freestyle was just hard. And I think BMX racing was just like, yeah, it was BMX almost like dope. motocross. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, except you don't have the momentum and the speed. So maybe even a little more dangerous. I don't know. But yeah, shouts out to that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I remember bailing by letting just you would let the bike go, like m- let it move forward, like release it so that you stay back and like sure. Fall that makes sense. As the bike yeah. goes forward. That's, That's how the only way. But because um, they I, I don't know what, what the you know, you just meet these older kids. You don't know. You never see these kids again after you stop doing it. And they give you all sorts of advice, like, you know, about what you're supposed to do. So who knows what, what I was doing right or wrong. But <laughs> It is funny to think about, you know, those days and, and, you know, I loved being on, uh, on my bike and, and BMXing and doing all that stuff, but it was just, it was one of those things that it's funny you say that because to me, skateboarding, I skated in, I skated, I guess, throughout my young life, but I wasn't very good. And in college, I would just skate to and fro a lot of, I told you that a lot of people remember me as being a skater in college, like people that knew me kind of passed away. Yeah, it's like, no, yeah. you just remember me having a deck with me all the time because I would skate to class or I would skate to your apartment. But I wasn't like doing anything. I was just put my deck down and skate places. Transportation. You know, so, right. Sure. But I, I, I wouldn't ever have considered myself part of the culture or whatever, as it were. But yeah, I mean, is there any, are there any other stories that you wanted to bring up before we go? You know what the other thing I thought of associated with the woods that I thought of that made me laugh? Speaking about my friends from other school districts that I grew up with in high school, I was friendly with a lot of kids in a neighboring school district called Sayville and Oakdale, particularly my friend Matt Kalen, who was a really great friend of mine, even through my adult life. And um, I haven't seen him in a long time, but he attended high school out there with a lot of my, you know, a lot of our friends who PJ and I would later go on to become really great friends with our friend, Bob, our friend Dino, uh, Double Dork. We talk about Phil and Sam, shout out to those guys, Matt. And those guys were always up to no good. They were always doing something that they shouldn't have been doing. Like I remember them like exploring these old concrete depots and like climbing these crazy treacherous things that they shouldn't have been involved with. They loved it. My friend Matt just loved exploring, you know? He eventually went to FIT in New York where Allie went to school and, like, Mm. figured out a way to get onto one of the buildings of the dorms. Like, he was always up to something, Matt. You know, he was always down for an event. Good, really good kid, awesome dude, but, like, always down for, like, some mischief. So, and he just really loved to explore. Like, he had that little kid thing in him that he just didn't shake free of. He was just always, like, a little kid in that way. They found, those guys found, you may remember this, Carl. They found this abandoned warehouse in the woods, somewhere in Sayville or Oakdale, somewhere in that area. And it wasn't like, it was kind of in a neighborhood, so it wasn't like deep into the woods. But there was a, there was a warehouse that wasn't being used, that still had power and still had heat. And it still had like this giant sort of warehouse space in the center. Then it had little satellite offices around the exterior of this building. So it had like furniture 
and stuff like that. Now, it seemed like for all intents and purposes, like this place had been abandoned. There was old like skids thrown in there. It looked like a bunch of people piled stuff in the middle of the thing, but it became like a skate park for us. And whoever discovered it, we would go there at night because it wasn't a neighborhood. So we wanted to kind of go out where it would be not under the watchful eyes of people in the neighborhood. And they would go into this little woods, into this warehouse, and they would skate and you know, they would bring girls and they would hang out, have beers or smoke weed, whatever the people did. I was all about skating at that point. I was 16. So me and my friend Adam, who I grew up with in in Brookhaven, one of the few dudes around that I actually went to school with that skated, and our friend Dino from Blue Point would go over and one night we decided we're going to sleep over at Loop. This place was called Loop Lock. And I think it was Loop Lock Pool Covers is what it was. Some kind of pool supply manufacturer. But they weren't, it was abandoned or they weren't using it, whatever it was. And we went and I told mom and dad, now this is the only time I ever got grounded in my life. I told mom and dad I was staying at Dino's house for the, for the night. But mom and dad were smart enough to call Dino's parents and being like, how, how are the boys doing? They'd be like, Dino's mom was like, they're not here. You know, they're somewhere else. Turns out I stayed over in this place all night. We skated, we hung out. We we did graffiti on the walls inside. Like it was it was like you know it was like one of those experiences because I really was a good kid. Like I was really under mom and dad's thumb. I didn't do too much outside of the periphery of their rules. Like if they said be home at a certain time, I might have fudged it a little bit. But for the most part, I was I wasn't trying to act out. This one night, I just thought it was worth it. We were skating. We we're having an awesome time. I think I had first. I hadn't known Matt that long yet. I don't think. And when I met him, he was an awesome, he was already an awesome skateboarder and he was really into art and he was just like a kindred spirit. And I was like really drawn to him. I was like, I'm obsessed with Matt for a little while. Like he was the first new friend that I met in a while that I was like, this dude's a lot like me. Like he's, he was into video games. Like he was one of the few dudes who had a turbo graphics. Like he, he was into anime. Like he was just, I was just like this, this dude's like me, like the Sable version of me. I just, dug, I dug yeah. him, yeah. you know, I just dug him. And, uh, so like Matt and besides like just being really inspired by skateboarding, like I was like, it's worth it. Like it's going to be worth it to, to do this and I'll take the fallout in the morning, whatever the punishment's going to be, it's going to be worth it. So I get home that day and mom tells the story of dad happened to be home that morning that I, I came back. They already knew I was lying. They were super worried. You know, I was 16 years old. I was in 10th or 11th grade. I guess I was in 11th grade. And you're not thinking like that from a 16 year old perspective, it's completely selfish. It was like, I wanted to have fun. I probably dug some chick there. I wanted to hang out with Matt. I was with Adam and Dino. Like I was just in my comfort zone and I was just like, whatever the punishment's going to be, it's fine. I ended up getting punished for a month and getting my skateboard taken away, which never happened to me before. And they stuck to their guns. Like they, you know, Adam would come call for me. Can Dagan come out after school? They were like, no, Dagan's not going, you don't understand. Dagan's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like they really stuck to their guns as far as grounding me and I'll never forget that. And then the skateboard ended up being hidden in the most fucking obvious place when they gave it to me after like four weeks. And I remember my friends put like a, like a beater board together for me out of scraps. Like somebody had old trucks, somebody had an old ever slick board. Like they put a board together for me and I would go out and skate it when I could sneak away. But like, I couldn't find my skateboard. I remember mom going down the basement. There was a piece of furniture at the, at the bottom of the stairs. I looked, dude, I looked everywhere. I was in the crawl space. Like I was everywhere. She opens this drawer and there's a skateboard right at the bottom of the basement stairs. 
I'm like, it's been there the whole time. Was it in that like peach hutch or whatever? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's where it was, like in the bottom of the two drawers or whatever. But I always remember that. I'll always remember that being in the woods because not only were we able to get away with, you know, being in there at night. And you think of all the, this place was massive. It was a massive warehouse. All the noise skateboards make. But like, I remember being sheltered enough where I felt, because I was really into graffiti. I thought it was fucking awesome but i never had the balls to actually do it and i remember being you know it being kind of sequestered enough where it was like i could i could do some graffiti in here like i did a little character a little my little goofy monkey character with a knit hat and the you know the dollar sign medallion that he wore around his neck or whatever and uh yeah dude like that and that was literally the only time i i did not only was it the only time i ever got grounded it was my kids don't believe this it was the only time I ever did anything warranted of getting grounded. But when dad was there that day, I remember mom, I'm walking up the driveway and dad was coming out like to see me or whatever. And mom like getting in front of him and being like, I got him. Like I got, I got him, Jerry. I got him like type thing. And being like, giving me like the, the tongue lashing, but like basically who knew, who knew what dad was going to do at that era, you know, at that time. I'm surprised he didn't focus your board or something at the very least. It's kind of cool that they... They put it away instead of, you know, ob- obliterating the deck. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I don't... I, 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 I can see, see Dad putting that. a deck down and just, you know, sideways and just focusing it, you know, so like it's... Can you imagine that? Yeah, again. I, 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 mean, I think my friend Adam's dad was kind of a dick. His stepdad, maybe it was his stepdad who who would... I think he did do that. Like he would, he would take it or he would like take the trucks off and throw them out. So he only had the wheels and the board like... Just really like putting the screws in, like cruelty. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, how do yeah, you do like that to your used, kids? Yeah, my dad used to just steal my keyboard or my mouse <laughs> and nothing else. Thanks, Dad. Shout out to Dad. Man, I I tried to so hard to learn how to use Windows ninety five without a mouse. Like, you, you can't, you can, but it's so impossible. To use. Like, you have to use the tab button and like. That's funny that you even tried. Yeah. Oh my God. I was like, I'm not gonna let or and. I, like I said, it was always something in the phone cord, like the phone line from the computer, but nothing else. Yes. So like I could just, I was like, damn, dad, you are oh, dad. very sadistic. Take the controllers, you know, just the PlayStation controllers or, you know, whatever. How old was dad? Let's figure this out. How old mm. was dad when he was doing the taking the keyboard thing? Late 40s, probably early 50s. All right. I yeah. was gonna, late All 40s. Right. I was going to yeah. say that's a little too old for my I, I will say from my experience, you gain, you accrue patience as you go on as a parent. Like a lot of it is experience, especially if you have multiple kids, but a lot of it is just kind of coming out of that younger, headier, you know, impatient years of like just aging, you know, accruing wisdom. And I think patience just comes with that. You know, but yeah, late 40s seems like... I'm sorry, Dad, I can't help you. That seems like a bridge too far. I was trying to well, bail you out, but... We we had a, we had a sort of... I don't, it was kind of adversarial sometimes, you know? So I can picture Dad being like, I got you, motherfucker. Like, you know, in his mind, like, <laughs> I got you. You have no idea, but I got you. Just by taking this two-foot phone cord from your computer, you're done. And I actually remember taking then... I remember even getting around that and him figuring it out because my Dreamcast had a phone cord in it too. And I would just say like, okay. And then I would just take the Dreamcast phone cord and put it into the oh, other ethernet okay. port. Okay. And then he would come in and be like, what are you doing? You know, like, or whatever. And be like, oh, I'm just, you know, typing some things. I mean, like, you know, but I'd be getting instant messages or something, you know, like whatever, whatever it was. Or like, you'd hear like, Bing! you know, it's like, oh, like so really fun. loud on my computer. Like, a, 
or like the shutting door you know like you would think you would forget your speakers were on and there'd be like the shutting, the shutting door, door, door sound of effect. someone being leaving and that would be like <laughs> yeah. what were you getting punished for though it was like grades and you know i actually didn't do very bad in high school so i think dad was kind of i didn't get along with him like i wanted to do my own thing and i had kind of a bad year in 10th grade into 11th grade that's when i did a lot of like you were saying like you didn't do anything really to get to get punished no, but nothing I did. untoward at all i, I did nothing. yeah so i definitely did so it's it's <laughs> then i got away with most of it i mean dad knows all of it because i was so and he likes to talk about this i confess when i do something wrong so he always knew that i would i did something wrong but I did. I did. I did do some stupid shit. Nothing horrible. But yeah, because you were smart. You just you tested your boundaries like I had I, for some reason. I don't know if this speaks to my stupidity. And we've talked about this on the show before, even as a little kid, but as an older kid, too. I was missing that component where it was like, what are they that said? What are they really going to do? What are they really going to do to me? I didn't. I never thought that once. I just thought whatever they said went. Why? That doesn't make any sense. It was like, what was I going to do when they tucked me in as an eight-year-old and I heard three-year-olds in the summertime at seven o'clock and I heard three-year-olds outside playing and I went outside to play. What were they really going to do? What were they going to do? Can't go back and figure it. I mean, I, I don't know. Who knows? I think a lot of it depends on who was home and... It didn't even get me f- favorite kid status. It didn't. It, it's for nothing. You would think now if, I, if they just loved me the best or right. if there was a level of appreciation, it would have been worth it. It wasn't worth it. I wish I could go back and be a rebel. It's funny you bring it up because I, I think about that all the time where like, you know, because I live in a neighborhood with an army of kids, like I said, and there's just a little we get we actually call them the gutter children because <laughs> there's like a culvert that runs like across like everyone's yards. Like, yeah, so yeah. that's like what splits people's yards up like and kids use it as a like a thoroughfare to get sure. like people's different people's houses. So we call them the gutter kids. But some <laughs> like these kids are between, I don't know, eight or ten. And some of these kids are outside at like eight at night and they're like barely able to walk you know like i'm like what's going on out here you know that's old school i like that yeah this neighborhood's pretty old school i like that i feel like it's got a little bit of an old school maybe maybe with these younger generations that have little ones now they'd be your age around yeah they're millennials i guess yeah maybe it's coming full circle you know where the the sheltered children of the gen xers like me and my kids you know like well, there's a the, dude, there's a woods here. Let me tell you about this. And yeah. you know it. If you think about it on the way to Wawa outside, you know, you go out my neighborhood, the kids elementary school is there. Well, there's that pass. building that looks like it's falling down in the, in that. Yes. The, yeah. the, they're abandoned greenhouses. It was a nursery at one point many years ago. I don't think that was an operating nursery since the eighties, but there's like a, there's like a, for some reason there's like a smokestack in there. And then there's like these old abandoned greenhouse buildings, like a whole complex of them, dude. I would be in there fucking day in and day out seeing what the hell is going on in there. The wild animals. I always see foxes and raccoons running in there. And I, cause it's, on, it's right on the way to Wawa. And uh, I don't even put that in my kid's head because I'm a little bit afraid of them doing that. I'm part of what I'm telling you is I'm part of the problem. Yeah, I understand. Problem. Yeah. Well, you know what you did and, and you also know what your kids are capable of handling. They might not be ha- capable of it because... Yeah, they know. didn't grow up like you, you know, so know. you don't really know what they're, you know, they didn't, you have to kind of work your way up to that. And if they, they didn't take any baby steps in that regard, because it's just a different age. Yeah. Different like era, what would they were. do with that freedom? Yeah. If given the freedom, I'm not sure. It's a good question. Yeah, It's like incrementalism. Like you, I don't think you can give them so much freedom right away. I think you have to work your way up, but I totally agree. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so enamored with the YouTube channels that like go to dead 
old malls and like old buildings and that's stuff. awesome i'd love to do that like the urban adventuring where people like break in it's it's illegal but i i i think it's awesome like the people that go to detroit and just break in the shit it's <laughs> do they really I mean, yeah it's like why I not get I mean, on might, that. might as well yeah like the that. look up the series dead malls i think it's called there's some really cool shit yeah you were telling me about that before i like that kind of stuff the urban decay it's crazy how much how quickly nature reclaims things it, yes. it happens so much quick because i think i said this like i i i always questioned in post-apocalyptic literature and in games and stuff i'm like is it would it really be this bad like already like you think about the last of us it's 20 years by yeah, when you start playing it that the, that the earth fell apart and it's like horrifying yeah and but then you but then people are like, no like you look around and you're like no that actually would probably happen all it would take was like a sprung water leak in one of these pipes and then a broken window and then dirt comes in and then animals come in and then before you know a few years later this thing is effect. done yeah yeah no i know think about your own yard i also feel like i love natural reclamation especially if i could think of an old abandoned shopping mall and like the way nature creeps back in i think also nature does this thing it's hard to describe but it's like you know it's like all right we we could come back here and then it just that the speed and the evolution intensifies once it knows it's okay you know, right. like once it knows right. yeah. it's it's got room to expand, it's like, all right, we're just going to keep. All right. We're allowed to just keep doing this. Like it almost like thinks it through, you know, it's like we're allowed to come back. And I love that. And I love the look of it. The look. Yeah, of me it too. Fascinating. Like trees growing inside buildings. And so I always love that image. So like cool. where there's like a broken rooftop and there's enough sun and then the seed or the cone or whatever ends up there. And then you have a 10 year old sprouting tree or whatever. So That's pretty neat. neat. Dig, should we end with a dad joke? Yes, indeed. I got one here on my on my smartphone. Speaking of landscapers, I hope they weren't too loud outside. I knew they were going to come over recording. Oh, don't worry about it. Who cares? Um, okay. <laughs> Let's see what I got here. I got a good one, I think. All right, Kyle. Yeah, this is an interesting one. So I always get interested that I've never seen a dad joke before. Even after these few years of doing the show, week in and week out, we still come up with new dad jokes. So I like that. All right, let's see. I knew there was one. Okay, yeah, let's do this one. Kyle, what do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying. I, 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 what is it? They're both Paris sites. Oh, uh, I was thinking of French. I was trying to think of French words, but yeah, that's good. That's that's fine. Not bad. No, it's not, not bad. Not good, but it's not bad. We, we've done worse. Yeah. Well, you have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to lump you in there. Yeah, don't try to blame me for this. I'm sorry. That wasn't fair. That wasn't. Well, Dave, thank you for your time. I uh, appreciate you. Hope everything's going well in your life. Thank you, my friend. Congratulations again. Thank you. You Big things. Yeah, for all of us, hopefully. And uh, thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of our show. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash lastdamnmedia. Early ad-free access to this show, Sacred Symbols, Defining Duke, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, and Defining Duke Ultimate. Uh, go support us on YouTube, leave us nice reviews on iTunes, etc. and so on. We really appreciate you and you, we hope you enjoy the content. We could not do it without you. No. We will see you next time on more Knockback. Until then, goodbye. Salud. 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 <laughs> Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. 
All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Enrique Perez, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Graff, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Highland Ruley, Corbin Dallas, Lou Tennet Lipton, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Evan Barr, Talisman, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, William Holbert, Chris Buston, Josh, Charles Koslevy, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davis. Jay Getter, Jeff Mercado, Galja, Jody Pack, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Adam Barnes, Jonathan H., Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Rinsler 526, Ben B., Antti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Ollie Fritz, Chris Buston, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., D.B. Cooper, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Hofe Feldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chand, Organic Produce, Travis Arcoletta, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Ray Lagia, Donnie Nolan, Josh Yeager, Turbo Makes Games, Matthew Cooper, Dan Parsons, Martin Beck, Gavin, Brian Watkins, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, William, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Zach Brinkley, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Max Lazos, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Matt Hazelbaker, Todd Paxton, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.